Well, this morning we're going to get into another Psalms. We're going through the book of the book. Yeah, the, the, the massive book of Psalms is broken down into many, many chapters. And so I'm up this week with a psalm. And I'm excited to share what God is teaching me through this book of the Psalms. Now, I'm so excited we're partnering with Africa Renewal University. They are touching a continent. Now, can, can we say that as a, a local ministry here in Southern California? We're touching our continent? I think we can. We've got partners all over this country and around the world. But that's why we're working with ministries like Africa Renewal University. They're, they're not just touching their little area of Uganda. They're touching a continent with Christian education to transform lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. But let me ask you a question. What if Jeff got up here and he made this tremendous appeal and we said, yes, yes, Jeff, we're on board with Africa Renewal uh, Ministry and the Africa Renewal University. We're on board. We're going to send more teams. We're going to send more resources. But what if we found out a, a, couple, a couple months later, some reports were coming back that, that Jeff and their team over there were using all of these resources and all of these people on himself. Maybe on his own enterprise. Uh, let's say Jeff was wanting to become the next Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy. He wanted to become the next professional golfer. Now only Jeff knows that that's kind of a humorous thought because Todd and Jeff, Todd Nicewanger and Jeff were telling me this past Thursday that they were so bad at golf, they got kicked off the local course in Uganda. So I don't think we need to worry about that um, happening. And of course we know that that's not true. ARU is a very reputable ministry, and Jeff works tirelessly to see that, that, that he can squeeze, that, that Jesus will help him squeeze every last ounce of the people and resources that ministries to uh, help provide for that ministry in Uganda. So of course that's not true, but it kind of makes us cringe a little bit, doesn't it? Like, it's happened to you, right? It, it, it's happened to my wife and I. We, we hear a fundraising appeal, and and it's, it's compelling. And we decide we're going to give some of our dollars, some of our resources to this organization, whether it's a, a, a faith-based or, or not faith-based, but we're, just, we're compelled. And then we find out that our resources, our hard-earned resources that we sacrificed, we joyfully gave, they're being used for something else. Well, when we hear about televangelists, nonprofits, local or federal government, doing these kind of things, we get a bit worked up, don't we? We get a bit worked up. And rightly so. It's unjust. It's poor stewardship. I mean, receiving a blessing from someone else and then squandering it or stewarding it poorly, it doesn't sit well with us, does it? Well, we understand that it's, it's not the appeal that's wrong, but it's the motive. Is the motive pure? What's the heart behind the appeal? It's a stewardship issue. It's a purpose issue. And it's possible, isn't it? Very possible, even likely, that at times we, as God's children, and right, God loves to give, and the scripture says this, God loves to give, give good gifts to his children. And it's possible that at times we poorly steward. We misuse, we neglect, we spend our time on the cheap thrills of the world when God gives us his resources, his blessings. We're guilty of that. That should make you cringe a little as well. 
But you know, there's nothing wrong with that in terms of asking God to bless us, to give us resources. I mean, we pray, God, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my finances, my business, my health, my children, my church. God, I'm asking you to give, give, give. And there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, the Psalms are chocked full of the psalmists, the people of God, just pouring out their desire for God to give and to bless, to give abundantly, immeasurably. Nothing wrong with that. But it's the motive. It's the heart behind the ask, the appeal. And as long as the motive is pure, God tends to honor our requests. Well, we're going to consider this morning, through one of the Psalms, that question. Why do we ask Why do we ask for God's blessing? What are we using God's blessings and resources for? And the psalmist in the psalm this morning clearly understands what it's meant to stand before God and boldly ask. God, give. I'm going to give. I'm going to ask for you to give generously. I'm going to ask for you to bless me or us. But the psalmist in this psalm that we look at this morning, he lays out why. Why do we ask? What do we do with the blessings God gives us? That's what we're going to look at today. So if you would just, um, in the back, put up Psalm 67. So only seven verses. I'd just like for us, and it's okay if we read at different paces, we'll try to stay together. Let's just together read Psalm 67, 1 through 7. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Father, these are your words that are inspired. As we get into your word and as we get your word into our lives this morning, may we be changed. It sounds bizarre that we can just be changed in a matter of minutes, but that's the power of your word. Would your word instruct us? Would it challenge us? Would it admonish us? Lord, you're free through the power of your Holy Spirit to do whatever you want with your word this morning. So we're yielding ourselves to that this morning. Amen. So the first verse, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah. Psalm 67 is a part of, it's a four-part series, Psalm 65 through 68, that talks about, the focus is about God's blessing on his people. All right, so there's, there's all throughout the Psalms, you'll see little, little chunks of Psalms, even designed, put together that way. Psalm 67 is a part of a four-part series. So sometime if you wanted to say, hey, I just want to read about some psalms that talk about how God intentionally and abundantly wants to bless his people, read Psalm 65 through Psalm 68 in your own quiet time. Now, verse 1 should sound somewhat familiar if you're familiar with the Old Testament. 
It's actually a blessing that comes out of number six, where God tells Moses to have Aaron pray this prayer over the nation of Israel. And we're going to read back in Numbers the original prayer. Now, this get this. This wasn't Moses and Aaron just that they made this prayer up. This was God's declaration on his people, his called out people. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Wow, that, that's amazing. And guys, often in our prayer time, I think, you know, we can kind of, in, in more of a self-centered way, we can muster up these prayers, or maybe they come from, from more of our, of our own heart than they do from Scripture. And what, one of the things that I've been convicted by, even this summer, looking at the Psalms, is the Psalms point to many other prayers and, and pleas and blessings that God's people in the Old Testament pray. They point back. And they're just this big collection of prayers. But divinely inspired prayers. This is a prayer, going back to Numbers, that didn't come from Aaron and Moses that, that they came up with. It was God's prayer for His own people. God's prayer of blessing. And, and it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to find these kind of prayers and then be able to pray them and remind yourself, this is God's heart. Not Moses and Aaron's heart. This is God's heart for his people. And verse 27 probably here is my favorite in this section. God reminds the people that he put his name on Israel. He marked them for a purpose. They're a purpose people. God put his name on this people. So the psalmist includes himself in the blessing. We can go back to Psalm 67. Many generations after Moses and Aaron, and he says, God, I want you to bless us as a nation today. He talks about grace. That means, God, this isn't something that we can earn. This isn't something that we deserve. I'm just asking you to bless us out of the goodness of your heart. We are your marked, created for a purpose people. So this is generations after the book of Numbers. When God told Moses to have Aaron pray this prayer, this is generations after, and this is the psalmist. And many scholars think it was David, but we're not for sure who this psalmist was. But this psalmist is saying, looking back to that prayer, we're the same people, we're your chosen, the, the Israel nation, and we need to be reminded of whose we are. We're marked for a purpose. And he says, cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Cause his face to shine upon us, in verse 1. We would say something similar. We might say, God, look at us with favor. Or in your own prayer time, when you have a need in your life, or you're wanting God's favor, we need you, God. I've prayed that prayer. My wife has prayed that prayer. Or I've heard people even say, God, smile on us. Show us your favor. That's the same basic meaning here. And at the end of verse 1, there's this Hebrew word, selah. Now, sometimes when you're reading through, right, if you see a word you don't really understand, you just go right by it. That's sometimes I do. But we were challenged this week in our service prep. We have a team of, of teachers 
Bible teachers, pastors that get together. Did you know this? Every week, I've never seen this at a local church. I love it. Although it's pretty tough on the guy that's preparing to preach that week. Um, It's a group of people, men and women, getting together and saying, hey, collectively, do we agree that this is the big idea on this text? And so some of the, some of the folks in the room said, hey, let's not ignore Selah. That's just not just because it's this Hebrew word we don't understand. We'll just keep cruising. No, it's there for a reason. And here's what we talked about this week at our sermon prep meeting. The idea in the Hebrew for this word, it occurs 74 times in the Old Testament. Must be there for a reason. It's for a pause. A pause to meditate on the words just spoken or perhaps some sort of musical interlude. But the point is, the pause is there for a reason. So let's, let's reflect. Verse 1 is huge. God's face shining on us. The idea of a citizen coming before his king, getting down on a knee and asking a request... And that king, smiling, granting, not even, not even saying anything, just by the king smiling, he grants that servant's or that citizen's request. That's the power of this. That's the kind of confidence that the nation of Israel had in their God, not because of prayers that they made up, but because of what God told them they were, his people. That's the kind of confidence they had in their God. The Bible says that God is light. I think of this idea of shining as brilliant light. The Bible says God is light. In him there is no darkness. And then it says at all in 1 John. There is no darkness at all. That's the kind of brilliant shining light that the psalmist is reminding himself and the nation of Israel about. So with this in mind, verse 2 In Psalm 67, through the end of the psalm, the author talks about his motive. So he declares to God who God is and and who God says he is and, and we are as a people. But then the rest of the psalm is his motive, his reason, his purpose for asking for God's immeasurable blessing, which we do probably every day, every week. How many of you ask for God's blessing some way, shape, or form? And guess what? That's a wonderful thing. All of your hands should go up. Why? Because God says we're his children. He wants to give his children good gifts. We should all be asking for God's blessing, his favor, his face to shine on us week in and week out, day in and day out. Nothing wrong with that. But the psalmist gets into the motive. And this is where my heart gets checked. This is where our hearts should get checked. Our motive, our reason, our purpose for making the ask. So let's read on. So, verse 2, that, it's right after the word of Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity or, or uprightness, and you guide the nations on earth. The word that at the beginning of verse 2 is so important. It means in order that. So we're going to ask for your blessing in order that all the peoples on the earth will praise you. That the nations will come to know you, will worship you. There's a kingdom building aspect aspect to this prayer, isn't there? There's, Lord, bless me. Be gracious to me. Cause your face to shine upon me. Why? 
Because I want to be about the business of building your kingdom, not mine. But there's always that tension, right? You read through the Psalms, there's always the tension about me, my, I. Why? Because the psalmists were human beings. We're human beings. We struggle in that tension on this side of eternity between me, my, my deal, my kingdom, and God, you saved me and set me aside for a purpose, which is to display the world to the world your glory. There's that tension. It was, it's here now. It was there thousands of years ago when these psalms were written. But the psalmist says, Oh God, great King, I'm coming into your presence. I'm asking you to bless us. I'm asking you to give generously to us. But he says, the motive, the reason I'm asking is that the nations might know your way. Your way. What does that mean? Your way. Well, your commands. God's way of doing things. You see, there's a worldview system that our world follows here apart from God. And then there's God's worldview. Two different worldviews, if you haven't noticed. They're they're very different. God says that the nations might know my way, my commands. And then he says, or I should say, then this psalm has an incredible emphasis on all people groups. Except for verses 1 and 6, every single verse talks about nations and all people groups, the whole earth. There's an emphasis on this prayer of blessing that's tied to all nations, all people groups. Like a missionary or a local church, right right here in Simi Valley, or Jeff Atherstone over in Uganda, we've we've got missionary partners that used to be a part of this church. Well, they're still a part of our church. They're just somewhere else in the world in 26 different countries around the world. And it's like a missionary or a local church saying, God, that these people might know your way, that these people might know you are a fair judge, that these people might know you guide the nations. This reminds us of Psalm 1 that Todd preached on a couple of weeks ago. The very beginning of this entire book of Psalms talks about a way. At the end of Psalm 1, There's a verse that says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are only two ways human beings can go. One way leads to life. One way leads to death. There's not not many roads to heaven. There's, There's one way that leads to life and one way that leads to death. Now, that's not going to be very popular when you start sharing that. Amongst your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your family, already you know and have experienced, that's not very popular. I didn't make it up. The Old and New Testament will tell us there's a way that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to death. You see, the psalmist, his appeal is God-centered. It's not just for himself. He's not asking so he can just stockpile blessings for himself. Anybody been guilty of stockpiling? Uh, I'm talking about just materially. Are you guilty of stockpiling? Um, I've just noticed that in our family kind of tree, uh, the older you get, the more stuff we have. And so what's really interesting is my grandfather, my great-grandfather, matter of fact, I just had a great uh, a grandfather pass away. My kids' great-grandfather pass away over in Redlands. And man, he's got not just the footprint of his house, but then he's got a footprint the size of his house called the backyard, just chocked full of stuff he found at garage sales. And I asked my grandmother, I said, Grandma, 
when, when grandpa would come home over the past 30, 40 years, what would you say? Well, it was just, it was his hobby, son, and I didn't say anything. Well, I think that's probably pretty good advice. But let me tell you, he stockpiled. And man, he always, I remember growing up, he would tell me about this tractor he's going to fix up, this, this old fishing pole he's going to sell. Everything was something he was, this is before eBay, Right? He was going to fix it up, though. It was his hobby. And you know what? I don't want to be too critical. It was his hobby. Right? We all have hobbies of interest. But I'm just saying, we, we like to stockpile. Right? But the psalmist is saying, with God's blessing, with his graciousness, with his face shining on us, we're not to stockpile God's blessings in our life. He's asking so the nations and all people will worship his God, meaning, I'm not saying all the time you got to be thinking, i got to be about the nations, i got to be about telling people they need to know Jesus. Don't stress yourself out. But just be in mind that the psalm this morning is telling us, think about the motive of your prayers. Even your relationship with God. Is it about stockpiling? Is it about hoarding? Or is it about the nations? Because only one verse is this prayer of blessing. The other six verses is the motive. And that's what we need to get across to ourselves this morning as we consider this. Do we pray for God's blessing with the right motive? I know I'm guilty. I don't do that all the time. I go back to my my earlier illustration of a fundraiser. He's asking for resources and, and, and blessing and then using them on himself. We immediately cringe at the thought, don't we? Well, now the shoe is on the other foot. We're we're starting to get the picture of what God might feel like, what he must feel like when he gives us his blessing as his marked, called out people. And we use them on ourselves. Is God an emotional God? Yes. You read through the Bible, he's an emotional God. I would even think we have seen and just some of our learning about Old and New Testament, just in the year that I've been here, that God's concern, He actually has anger. He actually has sadness when His people aren't walking in His way. Right? And that's what the psalmist was reminding the believers, the followers of God at that time. It's interesting, though, when we read this psalm, we don't just see it's a heart for the nations, but there's a dramatic heart for worship. There's a heart for worship. It's, it's so not by happenstance that the nations are in here, right? Every people group is in here, but it's worship that's in here. Those, those two things are tied together. Let the nations, verses 3 and 4, let the nations praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let all the nations be glad and sing for joy. Throughout the Old and New Testament, when someone either began to follow God or came back to God, there was this joy. As I've visited with so many of you in our first year being here, my family and I, there's been so much joy in encountering a living God, a personal walk with Jesus Christ, and then a communal walk with the Lord. There's, just, there's joy in this church. I love that about this church. That's why you need to be saying, hey, have you heard about Cornerstone? Would you like to come with me? We need, we need to be inviters into this joyful community that we're a part of for Jesus Christ's glory, not our own. 
John Piper has written a number of books, and there's a theme that runs through so many of his books. And I've talked to a number of you. There's a lot of John Piper fans. I, I went to his church for a couple of years while I was in college at Northwestern College up in Minnesota. And it took him, I think, about 10 years to get through the book of Romans. But let me tell you, we understood the book of Romans. <laughs> but he had a theme he just loved, whether in person or in his books or when he's at conferences. And the theme is this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Now, he's not saying like at Cornerstone Church, worship doesn't exist, but he's saying in the world, the, the scope of the world, the nations, missions exist because worship doesn't. And what he's saying by that is the reason we have missions, the need to make disciples and, and plant churches here and around the world is because there are people in all parts of the world that are not worshipers of God. Right here in the massive footprint of L.A. In Simi Valley, there are not worshipers of God. So what are they? If they're not worshipers of God, the Bible calls them what of God? Enemies. We were all enemies of God at one time. Romans 5, Colossians, 1, Colossians chapter 1 says that there, there were all, we were all, once enemies of God. Therefore, for God's glory, we have missions so that all people can become worshipers of God. The reason that Cornerstone Church will always be passionate on this side of eternity about missions is because somewhere in our neighborhoods in Simi Valley and to the ends of the earth, there are people who are enemies of God yet to become worshipers of God. We will always be passionate. You will always hear songs. Maybe some of you are like, Chris, can we talk about something else besides missions? No, we're not going to. Now, yes, we're going to talk about how God's making a difference right here in our church and how you're growing, the, the, the testimony from Greg. But we're always going to be reminding us of the mission. We're people of the mission. Not our mission, God's mission. We're joining Him. Often in our witnessing, I thought about this this past week, often in our witnessing, in our evangelism, we can be rather man-centered. Here's what I mean by that. And I've even done this, right? The main question I'm concerned about asking somebody is, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Now, that's, that's a true uh, statement. It's a, it's, it's a good question in and of itself, but it's kind of man-centered. And here's what I mean by that. The focus is more about me. Where, where, where am I going to end up? Where are you going to end up? Heaven or hell? It's about me. The bigger issue is who are you, if you don't know Jesus, before an almighty creator God, who are you? You're an enemy of God. Now that's not, again, that's not, that's not nice to hear. And I'm not saying you just go, you know, bulldozing people over. You're an enemy of God. No. But unless people understand who they are before a holy God, a perfect God, we're an enemy. And God's desire, his mission is to make us worshipers. Then all of a sudden, it's not about me anymore. It's about God being exalted. It's about Jesus Christ being lifted up. It's about being a part of his mission, his family. Think about that and how you go about witnessing. You, you notice the difference between the mission's perspective there? It matters. I think of our mission statement. Can you put that mission statement for Cornerstone up here? To give every individual... An accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I love our mission statement. 
And I would encourage you, pick up a little card. Maybe we need to make some cards that have our mission statement on it. You can carry it in your wallet or your, or your purse or what do you call it, billfold out here, wallet. And memorize it. Look at it. It's not just a nice little phrase that the elders made up. It's, it's grounded on the Word of God. Notice to give every individual. Who's that include? Just people right here in Simi Valley? No. The ends of the earth. The continent of Africa. And the 20-some other countries that we're serving in. To give every individual here and there an accurate picture of God. Why? So that, that every individual might become a worshiper of God. What is a worshiper? A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Praise God that our mission statement is biblical. Amen? Amen. Hoarding God's blessing. How many of you have seen the TV show Hoarders? Anybody seen that? Well, the whole premise of the show is they're finding people that they've collected things to the point that it's pretty much shut that person down. They're isolated, they're insecure, they're living in fear, or maybe they're going out in society, but they're, lead, they're, they're leading a, um, a duplicative life. In other words, like they're, they're one thing on the outside, but at home, they're a mess. Well, we kind of laugh at that show because it, not laugh, I shouldn't say, but we're kind of amazed, almost dumbfounded by that. All this stuff, like how can someone get to that point? They even have to get state psychologists. And you know, you're aware of this, just like any sort of, of issue that's it's such a stronghold, they really have to uh, talk people through it. And you know, here at the church, we'd be praying people through it. And the point is to, to get them free, free from their bondage. What's the bondage? Stockpiling, hoarding. Back in May, we did this thing called Serve See Me. And several hundred of you, we met over at Apollo High School, and we said, how can we serve and bless in the name of Jesus Christ, our city? One of the projects that we accomplished that day, and I don't think we accomplished it per se, but we were involved in it, was helping a lady in Simi Valley that's a hoarder. To the point that she was shut down, isolated, insecure, too afraid to even think about what might keep, what she might keep, and what she might give away. Our team just did the best we could to not just like, give me that, give me, you know. We, we wanted to encourage her. We wanted to show that we loved her with the love of Christ. How can we help you? We were involved in that this past spring, this idea of hoarding. Well, let me tell you, we can hoard the spiritual blessings of God, just like the hoarders can hoard the material things of this earth. Now, we can hoard both the material and the spiritual as God's people, but it's, the po- again, the point of that psalm. We become weak and ineffective. Listen to the definition of ineffective. Now, this isn't like divinely inspired, but I thought of this idea of ineffective. That's exactly what we become when we stockpile God's blessings on ourselves. We become ineffective. Listen to this definition. Not producing any significant or desired effect. Then listen to the synonyms for the word ineffective. Unsuccessful. And I want you to think about an individual person. I want you to think about an individual local church and see if this does not describe a hoarder, a a stockpiler, of God's blessings. They become unsuccessful, unproductive, fruitless, unprofitable, abortive, futile, purposeless, useless, worthless, ineffectual, inefficient, inadequate, feeble, inept, lame, and this last one, bootless. I thought that was an interesting 
synonym, bootless. Well, what is that bootless? Well, that's like going out onto the battlefield or let's just say in a sporting event, soccer without your cleats, right? Without your equipment, your boots. Guys, we are ineffective at being a display people of God's love when we stockpile our blessings, whether they're physical or they're spiritual. This is the perfect explanation of what can happen to us today as God's children and His church. Well, let's go on into the psalm, 5 through 7, the last few verses. Starting in verse 5 here. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Now, the the psalmist clearly understands what the purpose of the nation of Israel is, right? And, And I think a lot of us understand the purpose of the nation of Israel. Although I would say we could probably grow and learn a little bit more about what what, what this nation of Israel, is it, is it still going? Has it been replaced? Is, it, are, is the church in Israel distinct? Uh, we, we need to think through issues like that. But the author of this psalm, he understood the purpose of the nation of Israel. To be a called out people, a chosen people of God. And this was a part of God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12. A blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name. It helps his people. And then through that blessing, through those people, it reaches out to help others who will glorify God's name. Now, that's a spiritual blessing, right? There's blessings that we can get. You know, you go to the mall. You, there's a lot of things that we can expend our time and energy on on this earth that aren't necessarily what I would call things we can multiply out to others. But spiritual blessings, they're given to God's people, right? So, so we can enjoy their benefit, Right? But then so we can pass that along to others. That idea of, of, of paying forward what God gives us. His, his unexhaustible love. His graciousness. His blessing. His face shining on us. We can pass that along to others. That's, what the, that's the role of the nation of Israel. That's the role of the church today. God's heart has always been for the nations of the world. Now God said to Abraham, I'm going to pull you aside, Abraham. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I want you to be a separate people. I'm going to give you your own land. I'm going to bless that land so it yields an increase, a harvest, right? That's what God, God always did that when his people were, were living in obedience and faithfulness. He would bless them. So why? So the nations around them are going, whatever they have, we're interested. We'd like to know more about that, right? That, that was God's plan with Israel. Before the church. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And the more I bless you, the more the nations around you will look and they'll say, you know, whatever they have, I'm interested. He said, Abraham, this will be a means by which we can introduce people to my ways. Abraham, we can introduce people to my salvation that they too might become worshipers. Now, just like, the, like Israel, we as the church today... We can get our eyes off the prize. What's the prize? What are we doing all this stuff for, right? All this activity of of a local church. Every week we come and we have youth group and children's ministry and missions and men's Bible study. Why are we doing all this 
all this toil, all this activity. Well, it's kingdom building activity. But we're asking for God's blessing. Just like God was asking the nation of Israel to be a a purpose, marked people for the sake of the nations. The word church literally means a called out people. The word church literally means a called out people. When I was growing up, and and I'm tempted with my kids today, well, when are we going to church, Dad? Well, I know what they mean when we're going to show up here to the the facilities and have the deal. Um, Or we could even say we're going to go be with our church. Well, that's the people. Well, what kind of people? What is the church? It's a called out people. We don't have a physical piece of land. We are not physical. We're not a physical nation. But rather, we're a spiritual people. We're a spiritual nation. But God still gives His grace. And God still calls us on purpose for a purpose. I love that idea. On purpose. Christian talks about this a lot in some of his grow classes. Created on purpose for a purpose. Or called out on purpose for a purpose. Repeat that self. Repeat that line to yourself this week. I'm created. My family's been called. And, and, and draw, we've been drawn near to God. Created, drawn near, called out on purpose for a purpose. In order that, going back to Psalm 67, verse 2, in order that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power to the nation. Now, I will say this. Something is very different for us today than it was when this psalm was written. Right? In the nation of Israel, something is very different for us today. The old covenant that God had established with Israel required obedience to the law. Right? Because the wages of sin is death, the law required that people perform rituals and sacrifices to please God and to remain in His grace. Something's very different for us today. Today we receive God's blessing, His grace, His face shining upon us because of who? Jesus Christ. There is no law for us to fulfill. There is no ritual and sacrifice for us to to do to earn God's grace. Something's very different for us today after Christ. Now that we are under the new covenant, we are not under the penalty of law. We are now given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift of God's grace. In Christ, we can enjoy a permanent, I love this idea, one commentary said, a permanent shining of God's face. Because it's not dependent on what we do or don't do. We have a permanent, unbroken, unhindered shining of God's favor because of Jesus Christ. In Christ, there's not a single thing that you or I can do To make God love us more or to make God love us less. That is so important, folks. If you have children at home still, teenagers, that they hear that over and over again. Because, guys, my story growing up, and it wasn't my parents' fault necessarily, it wasn't my my church's fault. I'm just saying that for some different reasons, I had a perspective that there was something 
I can do or not do to cause God to love me more. You know what that's called? Legalism. And we're all recovering legalists, by the way. In one way, shape, or form, right on this side of eternity, we're in the era of grace. But you know what? We strive, we, we, strive, we, we strain with this thing called the flesh and the spirit. Guys, the Old Testament people before Christ, the glory of God was outside of them, right? It was, or, or, or they built a temple, right? God had them build a temple. The glory of God was, was at a place. The Holy of Holies. Only one person at one time a year could go into the Holy of Holies and ask for forgiveness on behalf of the people. But where does the glory of God reside today? That blessing, where does it reside? In us. In us. Inside of us. Immeasurable, inexhaustible blessing. But what do we get caught up in? What do we what are we chasing sometimes with our asks, with our appeals to God? Right? What are we, what are we chasing? I want to close my time by taking one of those Selah pauses. And I want us to reflect on the question Psalm 67 asks. A couple questions. And write this down. If you're, if you're taking notes... As a child of God, here's the question. As a child of God and as a church, why are we asking for God's blessing? And what are we doing with God's blessings that he showers on us? Why are we asking and what are we doing with those blessings? And I'm talking about all kinds of blessings. Emotional, physical, spiritual, relational. Our time that the Lord gives us. Our days, our talents, our money, our possessions, our education, our vocation, our places and neighborhoods in which we live and do life. Guys, if I was to put up on these screens a comprehensive list of all the blessings this, just the nine o'clock service represents, it would look inexhaustible. Well, that's just it. God's favor and blessing and salvation is inexhaustible. And even though if you think, well, my list, though, Chris, is a little bit shorter than that person's list. Uh, legalism. That's what you're falling into. I don't have very many blessings. Matter of fact, I can't count my blessings because I can't get past one. But if I was to put up on this screen all the blessings that we have, just that's a partial list I just mentioned. It would overwhelm us. Well, that's because God's blessings are just that, inexhaustible. And He loves, I didn't make this up, Scripture says He loves to give His children good gifts. Why? So that the nations might be glad. I'd like to close this morning with an invitation. An invitation to confess any stockpiling of God's blessings for the, for the cheap things of this life. There's a lot of cheap things our culture is chasing. And we need to confess that. 
We, as I was preparing yesterday, I preached this. I feel sorry for my kids sometimes. I preach this to my kids. Kids, how's this sound? Natalie, how's this sound? We had a time of confession and prayer as a family over lunch yesterday. How we stockpile God's blessings for ourselves. That we look inwardly. Even my 10, 8, and 6-year-old can get it. That we ask so we can be a blessing to others. That's the life of a Christ follower. A six-year-old can get it, guys. So what we're going to do is whether you would like to come up front while this last worship song is being prayed and just, just right up here if you want to just kneel down and talk to God. We won't have people up here that, we're, you know, that can pray with you necessarily. If you want prayer, you can, you can go afterwards to the prayer room. If you want to come up, now if you just want right where you're at, right where you're seated, right where you're standing, you just want to confess to God, Lord, would you free me from the bondage of stockpiling? It's an idol, folks. It's an idol. And you know what it does? It causes you, your family, your spouse, your friends, your local church to be ineffective. We're not producing fruit when we're stockpiling. So it's just an opportunity during this song. If you, if, if you know, hey, I'm not guilty of that. I, just, I don't have any, any confession. Just sing this worship song to the king. And then I'll come up and close.